Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Keep your eyes open and your heart open to God and to people that love you and to your family, too. If you get up the children, be close to them. But wrap your arms around the ones that love you because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Life is about love. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Right off the bat, I want to say that I am so sorry for putting you through this rough intro because I've lost my voice and I've been trying to baby it all morning so it sounds much better. And my voice is normal on the actual podcast episode, so you'll only have to endure this in the intro. But I push through for two reasons. One, it's important to me that I always ground you with regard to an individual episode and what's you know coming up. And I must get it to my audio editor today because it's late, and I hate when I do that to him. So it's going to be super quick. And you're ending up with this intro now and not at the same time as the um podcast episode because I shrugged my responsibilities. I took a short trip to hang out with two of my precious friends up at the lake and they're godly women who challenged me and my faith. And I think it'd be easy to say that about 90% of our time, we're talking about God, but we're also known to play cards and talk competitive trash. But I still find a way to talk about my Jesus. When I get a good card or if I'm successful with a particular strategy, I'll say things like, Sorry, ladies, it's evident that I'm God's favorite. Or maybe I'll say, clearly, I have the favor of the Lord resting on me. So I've talked more trash than I thought because I've lost my voice. And if Larry was still here, he'd proclaim that God is good. So let's get into this super fast intro. I had the sweet opportunity to talk with 78-year-old Carol Slesky. She has a passion for offering hope and encouragement to other parents who, like her, have had to navigate immense grief after losing a child. 30 years after her daughter Paula's death, Carol has discovered podcasts, and it has renewed her passion to tell her story with the goal of letting other parents know they're not alone. She has also authored a book entitled 30, 
like the number 30. And her book reveals more of the story from a Catholic perspective. Something worth pointing out to my audience is that I acknowledge the differences between Carol's faith, a Catholic, and mine being an evangelical Christian. I did talk with Carol prior to our actual podcast episode. She was comfortable with my perspective and what my audience would be looking for and the possibility that some things could be potentially edited out. And for the most part, it was moderately edited. I did leave some differences in that I felt could be wisely discerned by my evangelical audience. Additionally, I also left some things that I was able to add my perspective on. I always enjoy differing conversations because I'm intrigued to hear how we, as one human race, make sense of the world around us. How do we set up belief systems or which ones we ascribe to and in what way? So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hey, Carol, and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, and I'm so glad that you invited me. Well, I'm grateful to you for your desire to give other mamas hope and encouragement after the loss of a child. And you lost your precious daughter, Paula. Can you tell us a little bit about her? What was her life like? What was she like? Well, the the biggest thing that I remember about Paula is that she was really, really sweet. I mean, she she loved animals. She was quiet. She wasn't a really boisterous, and she didn't have a lot of friends. She had several good friends. I'm remembering her back right before she died. She was 24 years old. So she was starting to really get serious on doing something with her life. And uh, she started going back to school and she wanted to get her degree. And she was just a loving daughter. I saw how your face lit up as you started to talk about her. You've written a book titled 30, A Mother's Spiritual Journey After Losing Her Child. First, tell me about the title. What, if anything, is the, the significance of 30? Well, surprisingly enough, 30 pops up throughout the whole book. For an example, Paula was born on the 30th of September. So maybe that's how we could start with the 30. And I could just go on and on and on as to how 30 became very significant. The biggest thing, because I knew that the Holy Spirit brought me to that title. When she was being buried, she was buried in the mausoleum. Prior to that day, I had to figure out where we were going to put Paula. So I wanted her in this mausoleum. And I was walking through the salesperson. We were going through aisle around the vaults. And I looked up and I saw this one crypt. And I said, oh, that was like right above the altar. And they had like a... It actually was like a little chapel in there. And so I looked up and I said, oh, I just love that one wall. And I said, is there anything available there? And the saleswoman, she said to me, yeah, right there, there's a, a, there's a, a girl that's buried there. Her name is Paula. And right above her. And I said, that's another coincidence. So I said, well, if that's available, I said, I want to choose that one. Well, we went into the office for the paperwork. I knew nothing at all about this. Standing there, I said to her, by the way, what's what's the location of that crypt so I can remember it? She said, it's crypt 30. And I just knew this is, this is it. This is right. This is what I want. Then the next crypt over, I said, you know what? 
is that available? And she said, yes. So I said, I want to buy that too. And I don't know why I said that, but 30 years later, my sister Diane died. And that was my older sister. And her husband called and asked if he could buy that, that vault. And I said, yes. So my sister's buried now next to Paula and her birthday is March 30th. So you so, have this reverberation of 30 yeah. through your life and through your daughter's life. It's interesting. What's the significance of 30? Do you know? You know, I'm an artist, so I do know. I mean, I'm going to have to drop the zero, but the three is very important in art because you always do paint, draw and paint in threes. Like if you're going to do trees in, in a landscape, you want to make sure you've got three trees or six trees or nine trees. Also, the biggest thing, of course, is the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, mm -hmm. three. Mm -hmm. Jesus died at the age of 33. You look at the three days that uh, Jesus was in the tomb and rose. Right, three days, that. absolutely. One other question that I wanted to ask you, too, about the book is that did you find in writing the book that it was a healing experience for you, or did it dig up so much pain that it was very difficult? Well, first of all, I have to start with my health on that question that during the course of the 30 years, I developed uh, MS. So I never really got so critical where I had to be injected with any of the MS medications or taken orally, but they did a spinal tap and they did confirm that I had MS. So I developed this MS maybe between, I'd say seven and 10 years after she, she passed. And through the course of the next years that came up, I had scars. That's what MS leaves scars in the brain. So when I would go in for um, an MRI, they would always calculate the scars if they got bigger, if there's any new ones. And because of that, I did lose some of my memory. And I have another daughter. There's things about both daughters when they were growing up that unfortunately I do not remember. Writing the book, this is what happened to me. And it was just phenomenal for me to experience the feeling that I had. I got emotional when I started the book. I couldn't remember everything. So I had to do the book in parts. I would start, it turned out to be chapter seven, chapter six. And it took 16 months to write the book. And I mean, full time. I spent a lot of hours, hours and hours writing it. And Time went by, and every everything that I did and thought of started to grow. It was like I started to opening up. I regained so much of my memory that I was able to go back and relive. And this is the way I wrote the book. I relived what happened, how she died, how I reacted, my reaction, my feelings, all that surfaced. Sherry, I can't begin to tell you how, how much I cried. I, mm -hmm. I cried for, for all these months on and off. Wow. And then another thing happened, and I, I like to always point this out, is that the next day, it's like an artist. What you do with watercolors, it's real wet when you go to bed. So I would go to bed, and the next morning, I would go into my art room, and I would take a look at my painting, and it would be dried. And I'd go, oh, 
it just made me happy. That's part of my recovery too. That part is how I used my talent to recover, to get through the rough, rough times. I would see that paper and the image on there and I would go, oh, it's just beautiful. Because those watercolors, you really don't know until it's dry what it's going to look like. And that's that's the challenge of it. That's the beauty of watercolors. And um, so when I was, would be writing, I would do the same thing. The next morning, I would come upstairs and I would go in my office and I would read what I wrote. And I would say, I can't believe I wrote that. I had poetry in it too. I cannot believe I wrote that. And I knew, I knew it was the Holy Spirit that came and helped me to write that. So for you, it was a little bit of both. It was something that was very pleasing when you're looking at and being in awe of the beauty of what's taking shape, but yet it is digging up some painful moments and some painful yes. memories. Yes. So kind of holding hands with grief and with healing. I think it was the grand finale in a sense of a major portion of my healing. And I, I wrote the book because I had this calling that I wanted to offer hope. Number one, hope. Hope through God. Because if God is not, if God was not in my life, my life would not be worth living. That's just the way I feel. And so I want to share that. And I really do want to share that with the whole world. Because this is a very sad, sad topic. No one, no parent wants to think of losing a child. And I just felt that I had to write it and help, help where I can before it's my time to go and be with my daughter. Right. No promises for a new day every day. So we definitely have to live in the moment and make the most of it. And if you're leaving uh, behind that encouragement and hope for somebody, I think that's really part of your redemption, which I do want to talk about here as we progress into that particular portion of your story. But I love being able to watch people share their story because for me, that means we get to take part in the portion of redemption that God has for us. And that's super meaningful to me anyway. And it sounds like it is to you, that your pain wasn't wasted. There's a purpose in it. It can be uh, redeemed. You and I talked earlier and you said that if you have a good relationship and you love well, you will not get over your loss. So how do you learn to live with it? What was your experience? To live with the loss? Yeah, to live with that hole in your world. It didn't happen overnight. This is the whole thing that there's so many different parts to it and so many different people involved. First, you have yourself. Then you have a mate if you're married. Now, if your mate is the real father, if he's the biological father of the child that died, he's got his grieving going on. Happened with me that my husband was my second husband, so he did not bother Paula. So he was able to be there for me 100%. So we got that little part going. Who do you have that's the closest to you that can help you? The parents that are biological and you lost your child together, you made your child together, you lost your child. I always tell them what you must do is please listen to each other. Make a rule with each other. Give yourselves 
a time for silence when the other one is talking. Listen, you're going to grow a different relationship. You could grow closer together or separate. But because statistically, there's a big, big factor involved with parents that get divorced. And also another big factor, I heard this on the radio, I can't mention who it is, but they said that statistically, a mother will die within 10 years of grief, broken heart. And um, I, I suffered from that broken heart and I wound up having cardiomyopathy, a heart disease from it. They couldn't find any other reason why I got it. But I said, you know, doctor, I said, is there such a thing as a broken heart? Getting back to the, the interaction between two people, then you have your outside family you know, your mother, your father, your sisters, your brothers, they are going to think that you should get over this in a few months. You know, it's like, why are you still crying? So what you start to do is do what I did. I fronted. I acted normal with people. I even smiled. But then when I would get home, I would just go in the bedroom and cry. So I don't recommend that anymore. My experience of 30 years of surviving from grief, remember I said surviving from grief, because I can't say I am the same today as I was back then. I'm healed. Not totally. I always, always miss my daughter. But I, you know, I live a good life now. I'm happy. I, I'm getting happiness because I'm working on it. I still work on it. And just doing this, I'm new at podcasting, just doing this gives me a joy. I'm exhausted afterwards, but I feel good. It makes me feel good because I'm sharing. I'm sharing my feelings. Did you say that it's been 30 years since she passed? Yes, 30 years. So another 30. Yep. She had other siblings. You had other children. Yes. Can you speak to that dynamic of you're so overwhelmed with his grief? How can you be there for your other children? Well, I had a, a, another daughter. She's um, 20 months older than Paula. And I'll tell you, Sherry, she was, I just was lucky. <laughs> I really was. She was there for me. And a, a gift from God. She was out of college. She had a new job uh, from college. She was out in Texas working in sales, fiber optics. That was a new industry that was just being launched. And her company transferred her back to her hometown where I live and paid all the expenses and everything. They did it for me, for her, wow. for her mother. So, I mean, that was a corporate thing. It was just like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. I mean, right. I just knew that, and I needed her and she was there for me. But I did have to be careful because I didn't want to put too much grief on her. That would not be fair to her. I mean, they lose, they lose their buddy, their sister or brother. This is the whole family dy dynamics. Everything changes mm -hmm. in the family. And I do have that in the book. I, I write about how everything changes, the habit. We are all habits. We live a habit. When you remove that one person, there's a void, a blank in the family. And what do you do? That all has to be restructured. And it takes time. I didn't even think of it at the time, but it was when I got through 
through all these years, I look back and I say, you know what? I sure wish that I knew that this was normal because I didn't think anything was normal, right. to be honest. Yeah. All this grieving, I thought it was me. I thought there was something wrong with me. Why am I carrying on? Why, why am I crying like this two, three months later, four months later? But my gosh, now when I think this is your baby you buried. This is your baby. If, if you have a child, your child's adopted, that's your baby. Mm-hmm. So you lose that baby, it's going to hurt you just as it hurts me. It always gives us a glimpse. Well, life in general gives us a glimpse into God's heart for us. I've learned the most about God's heart for me as his daughter through the lens of me being a mother. And so when I look at your situation of having to let go of your daughter in this life, but uh, I think about what that costs God as well. Like he knows what you're going through. He's a father. He understands what it's like to to lose a child. Did you ever make any connection with that? Did you ever find any comfort in knowing that God is familiar with that kind of pain? Absolutely. I asked Jesus to carry me. That was my my verbal prayer. You know, at the time, I mean, I'm Catholic, so I, I know all the Catholic prayers that our Father and the Hail Mary. But I talked to God. I would, if I said it, our Father. I would always talk either before or after in words. And I, I would ask, I'd pray and I would beg God, please help me. Please help me. Lead me. Let me know what to do. Show me a sign. Help me to get through this because I don't know if I could live the rest of my life with this grief, with this pain. And that's how bad it is. It's it's terrible. It's just that one mom that I, I knew. That this is years later, in fact, it's now three years ago, my older daughter's friend, and she lost her son. Her son had an accident at college and fell off a cliff. He was literally climbing with a group of kids, and and he he fell and he died. And so I I talked to her a lot, and uh, I text her a lot. When I thought about her, because I knew what pain she was going through, I went to the funeral to wait. And when I walked into the, the, the room, it was just packed with a lot of kids and adults. But I saw her in the back over by the casket. And she saw me and I walked up to her and she grabbed me and she said, oh, Carol, she said, Help me. And I just said, just pray right now. I said, even with all these people here, close your eyes and say a prayer. It may be different for everyone, but all I could say, it's the worst grief that I've ever experienced. I was just thinking the weight of that is even too much to hear or more. It pushes you to the brink of of trying to imagine. And that's just very difficult in, in your darkest time or maybe it's more of a reflection of back through the the scope of the that valley who did god show you he wanted to be for you in that because i believe one of the beautiful things that god does for us in the midst of our pain and suffering is that he shows himself to us in a specific way did he do you recall anything that he the way that he showed you a caregiver a protector a provider yeah. 
chapter three is the beginning of a new life for me. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm Catholic, and this is about Blessed Virgin Mary. And for your viewers, all I can say to you is that this is my belief, and this is what happened to me. At the funeral, I had this feeling come over me, and I felt a very, very wonderful sensation that another woman was next to me. And she was giving me comfort. It was Blessed Virgin Mary. Her spirit was near me. And she didn't say it in words, but it was my thoughts. She's a human being. So she has feelings like me. That's what I thought of. That's how I connected. And I said, she went through one of the most horrific deaths a child can go through. And that is being crucified the way Jesus was crucified. So. I started saying the rosary every day, every day, the rosary. I, I said it when I was younger and that the rosary, a bunch of prayers to see, hurry up and, and say them and get over, you know, move on. Do the, do the Our Father and the Ten Hail Marys and don't fall asleep. But, <laughs> but my awakening was because when I started saying the rosary, I really started thinking about his life. The rosary is not about Mary. It's about his life. It's it's the stations of the cross. It's his life from birth to death, mm. from the very beginning. And when I would say each decade, I would think about it. So saying the rosary and, and meditating on each step of God's life and, and really grounded me. you in the, the, the beauty of who God is. What God did for me, our Lord, the Holy Spirit, came into me. And at one point of my suffering and my grief, my message from him was, it's time. It's time that you think about yourself, start getting healthier, start eating better, try to get off of those antidepressants that you're on. Don't lay in bed when you wake up in the morning or look up the ceiling. Jump out of that bed, make that bed, and then go in and take a shower. Then have your coffee. Don't make your coffee first. So that was the beginning of my healing was to take care of myself. And then the second big phase was God said to me, you are talented. We're all talented. Figure out what you like to do. You like to paint? Get those brushes out and start painting again. So that was, you know, I, I mean, I, I had a full-time job too, but then I was painting. It was like, I started using my hours of my life and my day use, useful, you know, not, not sitting alone crying because that time that I was working hard was filling up the grief that I would have felt over here. Does that make sense, Sherry? I think there's an, an importance of taking a break from grief. And I do have a question for you about that here in a few minutes. Um, but I was thinking about, I don't know if you call it a struggle. It seemed like a struggle at times for me. Were there any questions that God never answered for you? No. Um, and a lot of people ask me, were you angry? And that's kind of like part of what you're asking me, you know, um, did God have any part of her death? I could say, well, I, I, I want to believe that it was her time to die. She almost died twice before at birth. 
She uh, was born seven months of premature placenta separation. And then at 20 months, she wound up having problems with her kidneys and her bladder. It was just a little toddler. She got a fever, went into convulsion. We took her to the hospital, put her in the oxygen tent, you know, doctors galore. Then one doctor said to um, myself my and to my husband, which was her father, you need to get a priest. So when Paula died, I thanked God that he also let me have her 22 more years. She was 20 months old then. And now when she died, she was 24 years old. So I had all those beautiful years with her. So that was a gift. That was my gift. I always believe that God gives before he takes. That's been my experience. And so it sounds like he gave two more opportunities at life before he brought Paula's life to a close. All of us have a first breath and a last breath. And God shares us with our loved ones in between those two breaths. And he shares us with others between our first and last breath. I feel like this would be everybody's experience. Did you have any guilt or regrets attached to your daughter's death? She's 24. She's living on her own. But did you have any regrets? Yeah, absolutely. The night before she died, we talked on the phone and she said she didn't feel good. I asked the regular questions of mom, what's wrong? She said, well, mom, my back hurts a lot. And I said to her, well, I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you get a good night's sleep and you know, let's make sure we call the doctor. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll call for you. I'll, I'll make sure I, I get a hold of them. We'll go to the doctor and get that checked. Even though they corrected the problem that she had as a baby with her bladder and kidneys, she still had problems. So part of this was the fever is what worried me, that it was up into the kidneys now and an infection. She had pain. But I never had that opportunity of taking her to the hospital because I got a phone call at 7 a.m. next morning from a doctor that was in the emergency room that told me the story about what happened. That My daughter was, you know, in very critical condition. And I started saying, maybe things would have been different if I was there with her. Why wasn't I there with her? I didn't have the guilt law because I came back and grounded myself and said, you know what, this is the way it was supposed to be. That I wasn't there like Blessed Virgin Mary saw Jesus being not just crucified, but all the way through the whole procedure until his death. One pain after another, she gets experienced. I didn't have that. I got there, it was too late. She was gone, but I didn't see her die. And when you say that, it reminds me of something else that I say now after losing my husband and going through that whole grief process. And a lot of stuff I don't even realize until I reflect on things. But I will say that God is is good even in death. And so for for you to say that you didn't have to watch her die, I, I would count that as a kindness of God despite the fact that this would be your daughter's last day. Some of the things that I'm thankful for uh, for my husband is that I knew where he was. Some people don't even know where their loved one is at and they they will search for them. They don't know what happened to them. Yeah. I did not have any expectation that we he might be okay because he was 
pronounced dead when they got him to the hospital. Things like that. There's more, but those, even those little things were still a kindness even in the midst of my husband's last day. What about you? Can you think of anything else? Well, I have to just say that I agree 100% with what you're saying because when you witness the death of a loved one, whether it's your child or your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, um, and look at what if you have a daughter that's raped and murdered? In all reality, for me, my daughter died, like I said, with two nurses, because I, I read the report, they were. They were talking to her. They were trying to make her comfortable. They were giving her hope. They weren't scaring her. Now, what if it was something like what I just said? I pray for that mom and dad. They've got an extra burden now. Now they have the thought of what their child went through. I know you have another daughter, but that doesn't minimize the loss of Paula. Did you go into any sort of identity crisis as a mother? Now that one of your children is gone? I would say that the identity crisis probably happened more now than she died. Even 30 years later, this identity crisis is that I could have had more grandchildren. I have more years with her. I, I could have had a son-in-law. I could have had a bigger family in my golden years. So all these years that I didn't have to put everything on on my only child now to, to survive, not being needy. When you get, you know, I'm 78 years old and I'll tell you something. I sometimes get on my own pity pot because I get lonely. I miss that interaction of family life. So I know a lot of elderly moms and grandmas that are, that are like me. So I do the best I can with my life. And I'll tell you what I'm doing right now, sharing and doing these podcasts, it's definitely opening a new door for me. What scripture did you find most comforting? What What's the word of God that you held on to, and why was it so comforting? I don't. I didn't have one. And no scripture. I did not have one. Really? No, I didn't have one. You know, I was raised and born and raised in a Catholic family, and I even went to Catholic school. However, I did not study the Bible. Now, in my golden years, guess what? I go to Bible classes big time. I go Fridays, and now you get a special program on. We went all the way back to the Old Testament. I went through that. Now we're into the New Testament, and it's the timeline. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning now. But I didn't, when Paula died, I did not know scripture. I didn't, I went to church. It was like, Okay, the gospel, I stood, I kneeled, you know, I did what you're supposed to do. I changed. Paula's death made me change. I got hungry for knowing about God, Jesus. I wanted to know the Bible. I wanted to know, and I, I did on my own. Start, I started reading the Bible, and I found the Bible very difficult because, you know, it's Proverbs. And it was like, okay, you could think of it this way and that way. So, um, and and then I I didn't take any study, but like I said, now I'm making up for it. I am I'm studying it right now. It sounds like, and I've heard this before, because that's why I'm saying it sounds like that there was a lot of stock in works versus that personal and intimate relationship with God. Because even for me, what I thought I knew 
and the intimacy that I felt that I had with God, I experienced something completely deeper and didn't even know I was missing. And so, you know, I would have been like you, I was checking all the boxes, doing all the right things. And then, you know, tragedy happens and you question the good God you profess, but then you begin to, he meets you in this place of intimacy and he shows himself beautiful, really. And so I, I feel like I shifted from uh, a works or at least a, a level of works. Uh, I did have intimacy, but uh, not like I have now, completely no, different intimacy. you changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The death of your husband changed you, yeah. just like the death of my daughter, Paula. Another thing too, Sherry, I could, all the music I loved, I, you know, I loved uh, the Bee Gees. Oh my gosh. You know, that was my era. I love Barry, Andy. And I couldn't listen to anything. I couldn't listen to Elvis. I couldn't listen to Bee Gees. I couldn't listen to the Mamas and Papas. Couldn't listen to any of it. What did I listen to? I would listen to Christian stations. Mm-hmm. Not they were Catholic. They were Christian. Okay. But there they talked about the Bible. So as I was driving on my route to work, Matt, I was in sales. I would be listening to that. So I learned a lot there. I got my feet wet there with what was going on. Um, and it was all Christian. That was what was beautiful. It was just Christianity. And I started learning and it started making sense to me. I started getting stronger. So you're being introduced to scripture. You're being introduced to the Bible as a whole. Um, what about it was life to you? You said you're being changed. Did it Was it a scripture that like really spoke deep to your heart? Was it the revelation that, that we get when we read the word of God? I became a better friend to others. That's probably the biggest thing because all the other stuff that I did led me to being a nicer person. You know, not just think about myself all the time and to be a little bit more giving. And you don't have to give money. You give yourself. You're sitting at a table in a restaurant and some little lady sitting next to you and she's all alone. I never would have gone and said, yeah, hello. How you doing today? I, that's me today. I do that. I want her to know that she's really not alone. There's other people here. Yeah, that's very kind. I know when you said you're in sales, I immediately knew what kind of personality you had <laughs> because you won't make it long in sales if you don't have a people personality. Yeah. So I know that's probably definitely one of your love languages or, or languages of value that you find. There is a risk that is present in grief because you can become so overwhelmed with it and absorbed with it that you don't move on in your life and you become very stagnant. That was always a question for me. All right, Lord, am I not going back to church because I need more time? Or am I not going back to church because I have gotten into this comfortable place where I don't have to face it? I would have questions like that. Am I not taking this step because I need more time, genuinely need more time? Am I not taking this step because I now am in this comfort zone of pain and anguish and sorrow, but I found that uh, he is trustworthy in the pace that he knows his way through that dark valley. And that was very comforting to me. Do you have, uh, just curious now, you know, you've got this transition from reading the Bible. Is there a scripture that you enjoy now as encouragement for your life? Well, I'll say it, but you know, it's when Jesus died on the cross. And um, when he's, you know, 
I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm forgetting now. I can't remember the exact words that he said to his father. But when he died, he told his father that he was coming home. That probably is the most beautiful scripture to me because he gave me hope that there's a life after death. Yeah. And that's the end of his life here on earth, but he's moving on. That's what I feel. There's always the danger of your identity becoming our loss or our trauma versus stepping out in faith and believing that our life is not over yet, that God has a purpose for it, and that we're going to trust him with the dead, and then we move forward with our life and fulfill what he's created us to accomplish during our lifetime. Since there is never any getting over it, what can a mama hope for in her future? Kind of we're talking about it right now as far as not being lost in our loss. Well, I think, again, the biggest thing that comes to my mind, what can a a mom or father expect out of this tragedy is that the fact that you're going to be closer to heaven than you ever realized. That is what's going to happen to you. You start praying and you bring out that faith in you and you get stronger in your faith. That's beautiful. You may have touched on this earlier, though. What is the first step to healing? Or your first step to healing? When did you notice the shift? The first step to healing is when you realize that they are gone forever. That's the first step. If that hits you, it could be any time after they die. It's after the funeral. It could be a month. It could be a week. It could be six months. Like I said, everyone's different. You could travel the whole earth and never, ever find them again. There are no two humans alike each one of us are separate and individual and that's what i thought of that was another part of my growth about me being an individual no one's like me my first step toward healing was when i just laid down all myself to find rights to have all my answers you know like i wanted them and for everything to line up and i just finally submitted myself to god and said I submit myself to your sovereignty. I submit myself to the fact that I would not want to be the one to decide who takes their first breath and who takes their last breath. One of the things that God does for us in our endings in life is to give us a new beginning. What would you say your new beginning was? Well, at the time of Paul's death, I was getting married to my second husband. So it was like two weeks away that I was getting married to him. And it um, had I, if everything wasn't planned already, chances are maybe I wouldn't have married him. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have said, let's wait. Who knows what would have happened? But it wasn't that way. It was planned, and um, we, we moved forward and um, got married. But it turned out that God gave them to me. Oh, God gave them to me for the reason of helping me. Every time I would say, am I going to be right, Jenny? Am I going to be right? Yes, you're going to be, you're going to make it. Mm. You're going to make it. That's so good. That encouragement and that physical touch as well. And the verbal voice, you know, giving you support. I had another question for you, but I think that pretty much answers it. And I was saying that, you know, something that 
I experienced. And so I wanted to see if you had experienced as well. And, and I believe that God gives before he takes. And then I was going to ask you, did anything come to mind? But it sounds like he was giving you a support, a physical support yeah. system um, as your daughter was was going home to be with Jesus. Yes. Do you have any advice for a mama on what to expect during the grieving process? Maybe something you wish you would have known? No one really imagines themselves in the grieving process. So it's not something that we get ready for, but did you have any, something that you wished you would have known? Yeah. And it's not negative. This is the nice part about it. Okay. I'm not going to give mamas out there negative talk. I'm going to tell you that what I'd like you to do is keep your eyes open and your heart open to God and to people that love you and to your family too. If you get out the children, be close to them, but wrap your arms around the ones that love you, because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Life is about love. You can smile again, and you could laugh again, and you could have a good time again, and you could become a grandma, maybe, or a grandpa, or, or an uncle or an aunt. It depends on what you want and what you reach for. Yeah. So be bold. Ask for things. Ask, ask for life. Yeah, don't rush the grieving process. It's a, it's necessary, but definitely look for those opportunities to heal and then to step into what what's left of your life. And I say left not in a bad way, but there's much more beauty to be had. And that's something that the Lord really impressed upon my heart as this year started was that it can still be beautiful. It'll be different, but it can still be beautiful. Are there some things that people can do during this grieving process to lift the weight of grief? Because I believe you have to find these places where you get out from underneath that weight, even if it's taking a walk. What are some of the things that you have done that has been able to okay. give you that relief? Okay, it's not just uh, painting. This can go for anyone. First, you got to say to yourself, okay, what do I like to do? What used to make me happy? It could be cooking. It could be making a pie. It could be making a beautiful salad. It could be, like you said, walking down the street, looking up at the sky, looking at the birds. Um, if it's snowing where you're at, look at the snowfall. Starting with your eyes and your ears, you're hearing the beauty that we live in, the beauty that God gave us. Animals, little puppies, little you know, babies. So you look for beauty. That'll give you some joy. I agree with you on that because the beauty of the Lord is overwhelming and anything beauty or anything that contains beauty contains Jesus. And so I think that is a very good, a good point to make. Go absorb some beauty, the beauty around you. Well, Carol, we're ready to close now and you have been such a huge encouragement to my heart. So I know that my listeners are going to find great value in what you've shared. And with that thought of you being someone who shares hope and encouragement, what is the one takeaway that if our listeners don't remember anything else that we talked about, what do they need to remember about your book, about your story, about your life, about your loss? Well, it's what my father said to me when I was a little girl. He said, it's better for you to believe and not to believe. He said, why would you take the risk of not going to heaven? But if you believe in God, he said, you're going to go to heaven. We are so lucky. If you believe in God, you're so, so lucky because we have a place to go to after this. When we step through that door of eternity, we we are faced with the eternal 
life that we had chosen. And that blood on the cross of Jesus Christ is still fresh today as it was at Calvary. And I think that is really part of the beauty of accepting Jesus Christ on this side of eternity because we get a taste, a shadow of that Garden of Eden, of what heaven is like. Because I believe that a lot of this life are shadowing shadows of heaven and hell and the the taste of of heaven we can we can enjoy that in the intimacy of Christ right now we don't have to wait don't have to wait for our last breath we cash in today now the eternal value of that is breathtaking and immeasurable but we can taste it today and i think that's one of the most generously yes. extravagant and extravagantly generous things uh, that god does for us Miss Carol, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your desire to encourage and to give hope because you've done that today. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry, very much. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.